Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. I want to begin a, this is just a brief study today, but uh, it's going to be called Down in the Valley. Down in the valley. We uh, were privileged to be out in the mountains. It's been, uh, it's been a little while ago. But you don't forget those experiences. There's things that you experience in, in mountains that you don't experience in Illinois. The presence of the majestic <laughs> mountains, something changes in you. It's... It's exhilarating. It's, it's awesome. It's inspiring. And we uh, took a few hikes up into those mountainous areas. And we found out that getting to mountaintops is not easy without a helicopter. It'd be nice if we had a helicopter to do it because by the time I got there, I was out of breath and struggling. But these young guys, man, they were just, it was nothing to them. It was wearing, it just wore me out. But when I got to that place on that mountaintop and I was able to look out on what was in front of me, the view was majestic. It was powerful. It was awesome. What I could see from that vantage point was no way near what I was looking at in the valley. There's something special about mountaintops. And it would be so great if it would be possible for us to live on the mountaintop. To be able to see life from that vantage point on being on top of the world and looking out and seeing from a vantage point and a viewpoint that you don't get in the valley. Everything becomes so clear when you're on the mountaintop. You can see how everything fits together. You can see the road that you took, the route that you took to get up to the mountaintop. You can see that all, all beneath you, and it looks like it, you know, it wasn't so imposing. It wasn't like when you were walking on that trail to get to the top. Mountaintops, getting there, it would be wonderful. But you know what? It seems like it would be wonderful if only half of the time we could be on the mountaintop. If we could just live our lives half of the time on the mountaintop, I'd settle for that. But that's not where we live. That's not the way it is. Mountaintops aren't easily achieved. And then even when you do achieve them, they're difficult to hold on to. How many of you have experienced those mountaintop experiences in your life? How long did you stay there compared to where we live? It's like a blink of an eye. You struggle to get to that mountaintop, and then when we get there, it's just like, it's like trying to hold on to water. You know, you, you fill your hands with water, but that water just it finds all the little cracks and crevices to leak out of. And no matter what you try to do to tighten up or whatever, that water just finds a way to get out. And those mountaintop experiences, no matter how tight we try to hang on to them, somehow they find the leaks and the, and the cracks and the holes and they just leak out and they're gone. Instead of that mountaintop experience, we live the greatest percentage of our lives clawing our way out of the valleys or making a rapid descent from the top of that mountain experience down into yet another valley experience. That's where we live. That's our lives. Down in the valley. That's where we live. One of my favorite Old Testament Bible characters is David. And to me, David is a great example of a life that was lived 
under that struggle of mountaintop versus valleys. Because David had them both. He had mountaintops, but he also had a lot of valleys. And I like David because I can relate to him. The stories that are, are connected to David's life, I'm so grateful to God that he, he provided us with that because it's something that we can relate to. We can understand because we have our mountaintops and we have our valleys. David, as he has shown to us, gets caught up sometimes in some very serious valley experiences. And I want to see, I want to share some of those experiences with us today and find out if we can't find out something from his experience that can be a benefit to us. The scripture tells us that everything that's recorded in, in this Old Testament was for our ensample or example. It was given to us to help us know how to live our lives, to give us a heads up, basically, on how to approach the events and the situations that we encounter in life while we're in those valley times, which is where we live most of our life. And when I considered David's story, I found four types of valley situations which he encountered that I want to point out to us and, and examine in this study that we're beginning on today. The first valley that came to my mind as I thought of David's story, we could call the valley of disappointment. The valley of disappointment. And disappointment is usually caused by the experience of finding oneself in a situation where there are unfulfilled expectations. Anybody here ever find yourself in a situation of unfulfilled expectations? <laughs> like every day. We're familiar with the valley of disappointment. You know, we can have disappointment from events that occur. If you're a sports fanatic and you've got a special team that you really like, and if that team makes it to its pinnacle place, it's getting into the playoffs, and if that team doesn't make it, and your expectation is that they're going to make it, they're going to go all the way this year, and they don't do it, what happens? There's people that get depressed. I mean, they, they all, their life is over. Their world has ended because their team didn't do it, and they expected them to do it. They had that expectation. They were riding high, but somehow something happened, and they didn't do it. And their world comes crashing down because of an unfulfilled expectation. We can find that same thing in people. We can have great expectations for people. And yet when they don't live up to those expectations, when those expectations are unfulfilled, it can affect us. It can, it can hamper us. It can cause disappointment. And we can have that happen in church. You know, the reason that there, are, there has been such a downturn on people connected to churches is because their expectation of what they would find when they went to the church was unfulfilled. They didn't get what they thought they were going to get when they went to church. They didn't find what they were looking for and they expected to find when they went there. And so their expectations were unfulfilled. They were disappointed. We can find disappointment in a lot of places in life. Depending on how much or how great your expectations had been, and how severely the experience letdown had been, it can help you determine the level of disappointment that can be felt as the result. How strongly you felt about it. 
how attached you were, and then that level of disappointment, that how far they fell short of what you expected. The level of the valley is the result of that situation. How far down in the valley you go as a product of that loss of expectation will determine that depth of valley, the severity of the valley that you go into. So considering this information, I want us to take a look at this early life of the, the Bible character David. And I'm going to read here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. There's a little bit of a reading here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And this sets the stage for beginning our study today on this valley of disappointment. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, saying, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till, the name, till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of, the, of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. This is the story of how it all began for David. This is where we first find out about David in the scripture. So when we first hear about David, we find out that he's a shepherd. He's over his father's flock. He gets that lowly position. He's the, he's the, uh, the young one, you know. So he gets stuck with that menial task of watching the sheep. And so uh, Jesse has eight sons. David's the youngest. He's the, he's the baby of the flock. And so uh, his life had been what we would consider to be a, a normal life for the youngest son in the family. You know, all the, all the rotten jobs, all the other stuff that nobody else wanted to do, that was David's position. That's what he got because, you know, he was the youngest. And his, some of his other brothers actually had gotten summons by the king, and they were in part of the, the army of Israel, but not David. You know, he's, he's, the, he's the low man on the totem pole. But then one day... David gets this summons to return home immediately because someone very important has come to see him specifically. And it turned out that that someone was none other than God's own prophet, the prophet Samuel. And when David arrived home, God had spoken to Samuel to anoint him, this young boy, because he was going to be the next king over Israel. Now up to that point, David had always been, you know, just the, the one that everybody forgot about. You know, he was just always in the way, always doing his own thing, whatever. He was, he was the guy that just did everything and nobody else wanted to do. 
that was his life before. And to say that that one visit on that special day managed to change David's life would be the understatement of the century. He went from being a nobody to next in line to be king over Israel that quickly. Has anybody ever had that happen to you? <laughs> so from that point, everything in David's life began to dramatically change. We hear about David playing the harp for King Saul to calm his nerves whenever this evil spirit would bother him. But the next big event that we find out where David's involved is in connection with his encounter with the Philistine giant named Goliath. That story is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 12 through 51, and we're not going to read that because most of you are familiar with the story. But David heard about the story of Goliath's taunts against the army of Israel, and then he went to visit there to bring some things for his brothers and to bring back a report to his father on how the, the battle was going. And when he gets there, he gets to witness this for himself because this giant comes out and begins to taunt the army of Israel while David is there. But David does what no one else in the army had been able to summon the courage to do. He went alone, armed with a mere sling and some stones, and took on the giant, which he brought down, sending the army of the Philistines into a panicked rout. He single-handedly won a great victory against these pesky enemy of Israel. He did that by himself. And that didn't go unnoticed. Overnight, people in Israel began to make up and sing songs in tribute to this teenage boy. They think David was probably a teenager at the time. This teenage boy and this brand new hero had, who had just risen in their hearts. The once unknown David had instantly come to be a household word. Everybody in Israel knew the name of David after that encounter. There was not anybody that wasn't informed about David. Have you heard the story about the, the giant slayer David? Everybody knew David. He became fast friends with Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. And, and Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Then David even marries the princess Michael, who was a daughter of the king. Notice him rising. Man, this is looking good. This is looking pretty good for David. He's going up quick. David gets placed over a thousand soldiers as their captain. And he went forth victorious against every enemy army that he and his men came up against. He was never once defeated in battle. Every battle he fought, he won. It seemed that David's fame just continued to skyrocket. The people of Israel forgot about Saul. David became their star. The people sang praises ever louder for David. He became the champion of Israel. It wasn't the king anymore. It was David. David was their champion. It was David who could do no wrong. Everybody loved David. Well, almost everybody loved David. Well, it seemed as though everything that David touched turned to gold, and his future was absolutely cram-packed with bright and shining possibility, unknown to David, trouble was brewing in paradise. He was excited. He was happy about his future. He was caught up in the thrill of the fame and the popularity, and he didn't realize that there was an undercurrent taking place, that there was something going on that was fixing to make a change in that climb that he was making. While David's star was on its meteoric rise, an undercurrent, a dangerous undercurrent began to move against him. 
And the very one at its head was none other than Israel's own king, Saul. How many of you know it's dangerous to have a king mad at you? To have a king jealous of you? Saul had quickly become jealous of all of David's time that he was enjoying in the limelight. There's always going to be people in your successes that are going to grow jealous of you. Expect it, count on it, because it's going to happen. And jealousy does cruel things. It makes people do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. It messes with people's minds. And Saul became so jealous that he tried to do some things to get David's fame to fall. He tried to do some things to get David killed in battle. He tried to do some things. He orchestrated all kinds of things that he, he put behind the scenes that, was, that nobody knew about. And guess what? They all backfired. Not one of them turned out like he had planned it. Why? Because God's hand was on David. That made Saul angry. It went from jealousy, now it's anger. Now he's mad. He's fired up, man. I got to get rid of this kid. And it was that attitude and the actions of Saul in this neurotic condition that he was under that had managed to prove to be too much for David to bear. Because Saul, eventually, he came right out. He wasn't trying to hide it anymore. David began to realize, this guy's out to kill me. I mean, he had all the telltale signs. He threw a javelin at David while David was trying to play away these evil spirits for him. That's a pretty telltale sign that I don't think he likes me anymore. He's throwing a javelin at him. He's going to pin him to the wall. David began to see the handwriting on the wall that this thing's going south pretty quick. I got to make a decision. I got to choose what I'm going to do. David, in an instant, had gone from being this highly confident and this highly competent hero who could seemingly do no wrong, this young man who had the world at his feet, nothing but blue skies of promise ahead of him. And instead we find him being a fellow now with a bounty on his head and no place to run, no place to hide. His beautiful world came crashing down. As fast as it had gone up, that quickly it came down. He just barely got, to, he didn't even quite get to the top. Just touched just below the top and then all of a sudden he's falling down. He's coming right down, right back down again. Anybody familiar with that? <laughs> yeah, we're familiar with that. David now found himself in dark places so low that he felt that they were going to swallow him up. What David chose to do is going to make a difference in his life. David chooses to run away from his hope for the future. He found himself nearly all alone. He was desperate. He was destitute. His hopes were shattered. David began his time of wandering around in the valley of disappointment. The valley of disappointment. Had God's man of the hour somehow managed to miss the direction of God for his life? Not necessarily. Saul was still the king and no one knew how much longer that was going to have to play out. David didn't have, shouldn't have expected that Saul was going to step aside and give him the throne. He knew something else was going to have to happen. He didn't know what exactly or, or when. So then what was God doing to David and 
with him in the midst of everything that he saw, that he was now experiencing, that he saw going on around him. If we dare to look at some of the other success stories of great men who rose to power, recorded in the scriptures, men such as Moses and Joseph and Daniel, we begin to find something similar to them all. Their road to success was fraught with danger and setbacks which each one of them had been made to endure. Before they reached the mountaintop, before they got to where God was trying to take them, they had valleys, frustrations. They had the same things that we're finding here with David. And we're going to experience things in that same venue in our lives. That road to success is never an easy climb. It's never. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be things that have to be endured. So it appears to me that men or women who are destined for greatness, they might be given a taste of what that destiny might look like and feel like, but before they're ushered into its complete fulfillment, they're all going to be taken uh, into a place where this is going to be removed from them for a specific purpose. Who they are in the times of that extreme testing must be shaped, much like the working of a skilled blacksmith carefully putting that blank of metal into the fire, pulling it out, pounding away at it, putting it back in the fire, pulling it back out, pounding away at it some more, and he keeps doing that until it takes the shape that the blacksmith says, this is what I want. This looks right. Is it comfortable for that piece of metal? <laughs> no, it's not comfortable. And there are times when we feel the heat, and there are times when we feel the pounding, And we may begin to ask God, God, where are you? What, what's happening to me? Why is this going on? It has, it has its purpose. It has its reasons. God is shaping us. He's tempering the metal. He's getting it in a position where he can bring it to what he wants it to be. I think that most of us realize that it's the valleys that shape us, not the mountaintops. They're used to form us into those instruments that God can effectively use. And that's what he's trying to do with us. So then this valley of disappointment which David now found himself submerged in was not an accident. It wasn't a glitch in the plan of God for his life. Instead, it had been an intentional act on the part of God as a step to develop the character of this man whom he had chosen to use for a very important mission. When God calls any of us into his service, he may give us a taste of what that experience might look and feel like. But before he moves us into its full measure of operation, he has some work to do in us. How we handle those valleys we are led into or stumble into sometimes is very important for our development because it's in those valleys that he's in the process of preparation. When God calls us, he calls us first of all to preparation, to prepare us for what he's going to call us into at the proper time. He's preparing us for success, not failure. God knows what he's doing. And if we try to pull ourselves out of the fire too quickly, and if we try to avoid what he's trying to do in our lives, we'll never be the success that he wants us to be. Because he knows how to make us successful. That's his point. That's his reason for all of us. He wants us to succeed in the mission, in the calling in the ministry, whatever it is that you're a part of. He wants you to be successful in that. And it takes a process. 
It doesn't happen overnight. And while he's preparing us for success, that will not happen if we don't stay in that process, if we don't remain connected to God in the process. There will be things that God has to take out of us and other things that he must manage to put into us if we're to be able to succeed in our calling for his service. What a person does during their time spent in this valley of disappointment is either going to help prepare them for those places of higher elevations or it's going to cause them to forsake their calling and all that's connected to that, then turn and run away from it. And I want us to see how David responded to his being in this valley of disappointment. David had come so close to success, he could taste it. And though he was so close to it, and he got a taste of it, then it was denied to him. That's at least the way that it must have appeared to him in that time. He didn't understand what had happened to him, and, and God hadn't broken in to provide him with any sort of explanation. And get ready, because that doesn't generally happen in our lives. He doesn't generally tell us what he's doing. He just does it. It's part of the process. Trusting him to know what he's doing in the process. So David was brought face to face with a crushing sense of disappointment. And I want to throw in a quick thought here. Uh, just because we've been called into God's service and we've even been anointed for that purpose that, uh, that God is calling us, it does not mean that we have a fully functioning relationship with the one who has put that call upon our life. You're just beginning the relationship. You're really just starting the relationship. It's not fully functioning yet. It takes God working on us and with us over time to develop that relationship with him that can function maturely in that calling which he has placed upon us. That's what he's doing. David found that out in the midst of his experience with the Valley of Disappointment. But David decided to abandon everything in his life at that time and run in the opposite direction. In, in his heart, he was saying to whoever was listening, I didn't sign up for this. I was okay when you said you're going to make me king. I like that idea. But this ain't what I signed up for. Now I'm running for my life. Uh, I thought I was going to be king. What's this? This is going in the opposite direction. I'm lower than I've ever been. I'm a, I, I'm a fugitive. I've never been a fugitive in my life. I've never had to run away because somebody's trying to kill me. I've never had that happen before. And now, when I, was going, I thought I was going to be king, now I'm running for my life. Everybody's against me. I've got a, I've got a price tag on my head. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. It was the grip, the power of David's encounter with his disappointment that had caused him to come to the conclusion that there was no way out of his present circumstance that would end up with his remaining alive. He saw no way out. The only thing remaining for him to do was to run for his life. Chuck it all and book it. Get out of here. I'm not, I'm not risking my life to be a king. I ain't doing it. And I can't say I blame him. I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. And so it was that David's big mistake here involved the fact that he had managed to forget who it had been who had exalted him and had anointed him for service to his cause and to his purpose for David. David forgot. And disappointment will do that to us. It'll make us forget who we are. David was under the protection of Almighty God and king or no king David's life was secure. 
there was nobody going to take him out. He was under God's anointing and under God's protection. It wasn't happening. But see, David forgot about all that. When we go through these valley experiences, it does funky things to us. It messes with your mind, and it doesn't make you think rationally. It doesn't make you think properly. We've got to retrain ourselves. We've got to always be constantly able to remember who we are. And as long as God's calling is on our life, nobody's going to touch us in a harmful way. He's not going to allow it. David, by now, though, had become so rattled, he'd forgotten about it. David had come to believe that he was on his own. He had come to believe that God had abandoned him, and he was, he was wondering what in the world he had done to offend God so heavily. Why was God doing this to him? He just felt like a cornered animal whose only recourse was to run for his life. And that's often what happens to us in our times of disappointment. When we forget who we are and who we belong to, we begin to see ourselves under the delusion of the way in which the enemy who's after us would have us to believe. David saw himself the way Saul wanted him to see himself. I'm going to get you, David. And David believed it. Eventually, David was able to get his life turned around and get his relationship with God restored. But the way back to those higher heights this time around was going to take much longer to scale and was going to prove much more difficult than his original journey had been. And that in itself is proof that David wasn't ready to step into his calling as much as he thought he was. We must let God do what he excels at, no matter how long it takes him to bring that to pass. For David, it was almost 10 years. In valley after valley, before God exalted him and raised him back to where he was. Ten years is a long time. Sometimes it takes time for God to get us into a place where he can use us in the, in the calling that he would like for us to operate in. Don't give up on him. Let him do what he excels at in your life. Remember who you are in him and what your calling is that God has placed in your life and let him do his work. Because in the end, he will put you on the mountain. He will get you there if you let him. Don't let that valley of disappointment ruin your life. Don't run away from who God's calling you to be. Embrace whatever you have to go through to reach it because it's worth it. That view from the mountain is worth the effort. It's worth the effort. David's decision to run away during this descent into the valley of disappointment was eventually going to lead him to an encounter with the next valley. And that is the valley of discouragement. The valley of discouragement. The word discouraged means to become disheartened. And the word disheartened means the loss of spirit or morale. It's when you get to a place where you don't care anymore. You're done. Anybody ever been to that point? You're just... You're just exhausted from fighting. You're just exhausted from the struggle. You're just exhausted, and you're just, you're done. I'm just done. I've got nothing left. My morale is shot. I have, I, there's nothing. There's nothing left in the tank. That's when we come to a place of discouragement. 
Often the loss of spirit or morale is the product of working toward the achievement of some goal, only to have it seemingly repeatedly stripped away before it can be experienced. It's like dangling a carrot in front of you. You know, you're reaching for it, you keep reaching for it, and you keep reaching for it. It's just out of reach, but you're, you're, you keep reaching for it, and you keep reaching for it, and it just stays out of reach. And there comes a time, a, a tipping point, if you will, when that no longer works for you. When you say, enough's enough, I'm done chasing the carrot. I'm tired, I'm done, I'm finished with it. I've reached my exhaustion point. This valley of discouragement experienced with David can be found recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. And I'm just going to give you a synopsis of what that scriptures, or those scriptures talk about. David and his men had been involved in doing something that was actually quite unthinkable. They had been with the army of the Philistines. David had run away into the land of the Philistines, his enemies, and he started living among them as Philistines with his army, with his men. And they had been ready to fight with the army of the Philistines against Israel, his own people. But at the last minute, they had been dismissed by King Achish and sent back home to their place in Ziklag. It took them three days to make it back to their home. And when they got back, I'm sure they were exhausted as they came into sight of what should have been the town of Ziklag. But instead, all that they saw was smoke and debris, ashes. While they had been off with the army of the Philistines, a raiding party of Amalekites had attacked Ziklag and taken everything of value. The rest was set on fire and destroyed. There was nothing left for them. Everything had been taken away. There was nothing left. It was, it was barren ground. All of their families who'd been left behind them were gone. They were missing, and they were feared dead. Now, you've got to understand that these men were hardened, battle-tested. These were men's men, let me tell you. These were, these were tough guys. Men who had known what it was like to experience loss and deprivation. They'd been with David. I mean, he'd had, up and, he'd had, he'd had downs. He hadn't had many ups, but... He, they stayed with him. They were used to deprivation. They lived it. I mean, it was a hard life. And yet what they had experienced in that moment when they returned home to find their families gone, everything lost, these men broke down and wept. They felt as though this was their tipping point. This was as far as they were following the carrot. They were done. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And in that moment, discouragement rushed in and overcame all of them. And it left them feeling hopeless. They had lost everything that had meant anything to them. Everything. These tough, these fearless men wept and wailed until there was no more strength, the Bible says. There was no more strength left in them. That's the grief that they were bearing in that valley. This army of David's wallowed around in this dark and miserable valley, unable to push past what they were experiencing. These men had come to David on their own accord. They pledged themselves to his service, putting themselves in the crosshairs of King Saul. They had risked everything for David. And where had it taken them? They were living like Philistines in the very land of their sworn enemy. The only thing that had enabled them to remember who they had been were their families, and now that was taken away from them. They had nothing left. 
It was David's fault that all of this had been allowed to happen. He was to blame for their loss. They should have remained at home instead of marching off to battle with their enemies to fight against their own people. What was he thinking? His men began to look at their leader with a strange, crazed look in their eyes. They needed a scapegoat. They needed somebody to blame. They needed somebody to focus their anger on. And David saw that he had become that person. His place of beloved leader had been toppled and shattered to the ground, and now they were all crying for his blood as payback for what he had brought them to. Discouragement will change us. When we reach that tipping point, when we reach that place where enough's enough, it will change us. It can cause us to see reason to put blame on leaders. Got to blame somebody. David, yes, had done some foolish things by moving his company to Ziklag. Yes, he did. But David hadn't done the destruction to the city and their families. It was the enemy. You see, the enemy had merely taken advantage of an opportunity, which he does all the time. You need to get your focus off of one of yours and start looking at who the real enemy is. Because David, being the enemy, wasn't going to get them out of their situation. You had to focus it on where the focus needed to be, and that is the enemy. And if we can remember that when we're going through this valley of disappointment, of discouragement, this valley of, of losing everything we feel like, and we're just done. We can't allow ourselves to put the blame on somebody else. Let's look at the enemy. So David has a major decision to make. He could try to make it to his horse, and he could try to run. And if he stayed there, well, that wasn't a wise decision. They were already talking about what they were going to do to him. And if he tried to run, they'd probably catch him anyway. So David saw only one promising course of action available to him. He absolutely had to change that climate of their emotions. When we get into those places, we need to try to figure out some way to change the climate of our emotions. You know how to get out of that valley of discouragement? Focus on something else. Focus on something positive. So what did David begin to do? He began to rehearse in the hearing of his men how that God had been able to always help them pull victory out of what looked like was going to be defeat. How many times had God delivered them when it looked like the enemy was going to just overwhelm them? And yet God turned defeat into victory. He'd done that repeatedly. And as he continued to cite situation after situation of Jehovah's intervention, something began to change. There was a stirring that began to move throughout the camp. Faith in God began to grow in their hearts until it finally surged forth from the heart and then from the lips of David. He encouraged himself in the Lord, but he did it out loud. When we get to that place of desperation because we're so discouraged, you know what we need to do? Start talking about the good things of God. Start talking about the victories that he has given you. Start looking at the positive things that God has done on your behalf. And pretty soon... Man, this ain't so bad after all. You know what? I've got, I've got God on my side. He's come through. How many times has he come through for me? How many times has he brought victory to me when I was lost? 
How many times has he helped me to achieve more than I ever thought I could achieve? This is just another one of those times. I can do this. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And he's going to pull you out of that place. Faith rose. David turned to the priest who'd brought him the ephod and with a strong conviction, he told Abiathar to bring that ephod to him because David was going to inquire of Jehovah if what they were seeing was the actual report they needed to believe. Because it isn't always what we see that's right. It's not always how things look that is true. we got to see if God says it's true or not. And David wasn't going to take what he was looking at as the truth. i got to find out what God's report is. Because that's the telling point. David was demonstrating that it wasn't what they'd been seeing that determined the outcome of their situation. It was instead what their God would say about it that would make the real determination of their fate. What did God say? And to their benefit, they believed the report of the Lord who said, Go after your enemy, for you shall recover everything that you lost. And we're going to face our valleys of discouragement, but how long we walk around in it is up to us. When we come to that place, whose report will we believe? What we're seeing or what God says? That's up to us to decide. And the longer it takes us to make that choice and decision, the longer we're going to stay in that valley. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being discouraged. I don't like, like walking around in that funk, that, that just that malaise. I want things to happen. I want to be able to expect Something from God. And when we expect something from God, he's going to deliver. He will deliver. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to quit for there for today. And I want us to pray today that God would help us in these valleys that we face not to forget who we are, and not to forget that he has placed calling upon us. And he is going to work those things in our lives and bring those to pass. Let's pray. Dear Lord, today, thank you so 